exceptional people. You are now listening to Change Today, a new podcast about how we can better society. I'm your creator and co-host, Mariam Antone. And I'm co-host, Molly Quattrusi. And today we're going to be talking about colorism. But first, let's catch up. Molly, how are you? <sighs> Just divide. Mm. Yes. Splendid. Yes, I've never been better. Yeah, we did not just go through an hour of troubleshooting. Again. <laughs> Again. That definitely did not happen. Nope. Not. That would be so weird if it happened to us two episodes in a row. Yeah. That would just be crazy. It's almost like technology sucks. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know, though. After all the effort that I've put in to figuring all of this out, I feel like I deserve a prize. You do. I, I think... I should be hired to Apple or Zoom. Yes, Zoom. Um, or I should be hired as a critic, and then I will just trash talk the absolute crap out of this company. That might be your best bet. Yeah. Because <laughs> this is getting ridiculous at this point. Yeah. Hopefully you guys can hear us all right. We had to keep the volumes on the mics pretty low. We're incredibly close to them. But Very. It's, it's a little too close to com- for comfort almost. Yeah. We're not used to this during COVID times. Nope. <laughs> I've never been this close to anything. No, me neither. <laughs> All right. And with that, let's get right into it. Like Miriam said before, the topic we'll be discussing today is colorism. So we're going to start you out with two definitions. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying that I don't fully agree with both of these definitions. I'll talk more as to why I feel that way and then explain what I believe the definition of colorism to be, or just my definition of colorism. So the first one is just right at the dictionary, and it is prejudice or discrimination against individuals with a dark skin tone, typically among people of the same ethnic or racial group. Now, another definition that I added is um, Abram Kendi's definition, and he is um, a writer and a black philosopher and political activist, and he defines it as a powerful collection of racist policies that led to inequities between light people and dark people, supported by racist ideas about light people and dark people. Now, both of those definitions together, I think, sum up colorism better than each of them do separately. So before I get into that, we're just going to quickly talk about historical context because it is very important to colorism so colorism is heavily tied to slavery as well as colonialism but that's not the same for all countries and i just want to draw a distinction between um the america america and um to a certain extent european countries especially those participated in colonialism and then Asian countries as well as Latinx community um, and Latin countries because it is a bit different there but let's start with the U.S. so in the U.S. light-skinned slaves usually received better treatment so they typically would work inside the home as house slaves while the darker-skinned slaves worked out in the fields and did more of the heavy-duty labor. This was because Oftentimes, black women were raped by their white masters, which resulted in light-skinned babies. Um, The fathers never actually took claim of these children. 
but they did recognize that there was a chance that these kids were theirs. So what they did was they put them inside the homes while the other dark-skinned kids, enslaved kids, would work out in the fields. When we look at Asian countries, it's a little bit different. So colorism is heavily tied to class in Asian countries. Um, and I'm talking mostly about Southeast Asia as well as just South Asia. So it's said that people that worked outside, because you get darker when you're outside, were lower class or just less than or less deserving because they worked outside. And then people that worked inside and tended to be a little bit lighter because they weren't out in the sun all day were regarded as higher class. That's kind of how colorism started in Asia, but that is not the narrative anymore. Um, and it's not really a full explanation as to why the class system exists in the way that it does and why it relies so heavily on colorism, but it is one of the reasons. And while those circumstances have changed, colorism has not, and it's still very prevalent in the same exact ways in Southeast Asia, South Asia, and the Latinx community. So I just want to say this before we get into it. Um, this episode, is, I think, is very touchy and one of the more touchy ones that we've done thus far, just because as a person sitting on the outside, so if you're a white person or you're part of an ethnic group that doesn't partake necessarily in colorism, um, it's more prevalent than you think. And I think knowing where it, com where it comes from, how we perpetuate it, how certain races perpetuate it is important to just doing better and trying to get rid of it. Although that I will admit, I don't see that being possible, but so colorism isn't the fault of just light-skinned people or just dark-skinned people. And it's a mix of both of those, as well as the influence of white supremacy and Eurocentricism, um, colonialism, slavery, all of that tie into colorism. Again, that's more so in the black community because and, and, and within white countries, because like I said earlier, it's different for the Asian community. But in the first definition that I read, it said colorism is typically among people of the same ethnic or racial group. And now while that is partially true, and it's very true for the Asian community and for the Latinx community, it's not fully true for black Americans and black Europeans because of Eurocentricism, because of just plain old racism, there is a favoring of light-skinned people by policy, by social norms. And that, that's not the fault of black people, dark or light. That's just because of the way that we created our systems. So that is one of the cases where I just feel like that definition doesn't fully do justice to colorism. Um, but then again, Kendi's definition is also very one-sided. Um, so that's why I talked about having those two together making more sense than just using one or the other. One place where we do see colorism taking its effect is in the workspace. And an important example of this is in the 19th and 20th century, there was something called the paper bag test and it was usually utilized in black spaces and in the hiring process of black people. So what they would do was hold a brown paper bag up to somebody 
And if their skin tone was the same color or lighter than that paper bag, then they'd be allowed into the space or hired. And if they were not lighter skinned, so they were darker, they were just rejected altogether. Um, and this was in places like, like you said, in the workplace, but also um, clubs, bars, sometimes even schools. It was used pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. As well as that one song, that one like children's rhyme. Oh, I, yeah. If you're black, stay back. If you're brown, stick around. If you're yellow, you're mellow. If you're white, you're all right. That's very hurtful. Very awful. And that was saying in like ch- spaces where children play. Right. Like in playgrounds. The and a lot of times it was saying by, you know, brown people and light skinned people. Yes. Which is like makes it obviously even more hurtful. Yes, I just, I remember actually watching an episode of Blackish. I was going to talk about that. They were talking about colorism, and she, Ruby, the grandmother, mm-hmm. talked about that song. Yeah. And how she used to be excluded by her own family members because she was darker than them. And they would sing that to her, and she would have to stay out back. Yeah, I do remember that. That episode was intense, and that's why I wanted to preface the episode, because I don't usually do that, because we always talk about hard-hitting stuff. Right. But this specifically is so hard to talk about, because when you're delving deeper into racism, and you realize there's all these crevices and mm-hmm. all these sub, sub-racisms, you're right. like, this is a lot. And I think even like within the black community, it's hard to discuss, Definitely. And let me tell you, this exists so heavily in the Middle Eastern community. Mm-hmm. Like, I won't, I'll, I'll get into that later, but this colorism exists, honestly, every part of the world. And I know I'm focusing a lot on Asia and I'm focusing a lot on uh, black people, but that's not to say that colorism doesn't literally exist everywhere. Right. So another example is that skin tone was often the most important factor in applying for work as a person of color in the mid-20th century. On your resume, you would put that you were light-skinned before any of your other qualifications, any of your skills, any of your past work experience, anything you would put on a resume. That was the first thing you would indicate. That automatically just gave you a better chance of being hired. That kind of reminds me of, you know, like how during the Harlem Renaissance, a lot of books came out about being like white passing. Right. And what was that one book? I, I might be getting the title wrong, so forgive me, but it might have been, like, the narrative of an ex-black man. I think I've heard of an that. An ex-colored man, maybe. Uh, I read it. It was a wonderful book. But it was basically, like, this man was light-skinned, and he was pretty white-passing, and he pretty much grew up thinking he was white until one day in school, like, all the white kids had to go into a separate room, and then when he stood up to go with them, the principal told him he had to sit down. And then basically it's about his life navigating like should I just call myself white and accept like all this power that I'll get or should I continue to like advocate for black people and like call myself black and it was just about his struggle and even as a light-skinned person so light that he could be considered white as soon as you mentioned that you have some type of some amount of black blood in your system in your DNA it's like whoa I'm good And that's not even visible on him. Right. Like, that's how intense it was. That was kind of off topic, but I felt like I needed to bring that up. Right. No, that's definitely important. 
And maybe it's a good time to bring that aspect of it up now. Because colorism, I know just reading about it, causes a lot of identity crises almost within the race. Absolutely. Because you have dark-skinned people who loathe almost sometimes light-skinned people because they believe that they have more privileges than them, which is somewhat true. Mm -hmm. Obviously not all true. They think that police brutality doesn't affect them as much and other flaws in the system don't hurt them as much, but that's not true. Mm -hmm. And so they'll fight for their place in their race and they feel like they don't face the same struggle someone who is dark-skinned does. Mm -hmm. I think like the interesting thing, and this is also one of the reasons that I don't fully agree with Kendi, is because he does so heavily blame the light-skinned population for colorism amongst black people. And I think it's important as a person of color, if you're not like a dark-skinned black person, to accept that you do have forms of privilege. Like as a non-black person of color, I fully accept that in America, I have more privileges, even if I don't have white privilege. Because that is fully true. And, like, we're going to talk about statistics that prove that in a lot of cases, light-skinned people are treated better. That is not to say that they stop being black because they're light-skinned. Right. Exactly. And I, and I think that's a lot of the times the narrative that darker-skinned people create, to, that's not to belittle their experiences, because obviously they're the ones dealing with the most exactly overt racism mm -hmm. but we also just have to accept that if you're black you're black right and you're gonna face you're gonna face racism and you're gonna face oppression exactly no matter what and also race isn't the only thing that can be oppressed nope sexuality can be oppressed yes sex can be oppressed there's even like ageism your ethnic background can be oppressed your if you're if you're disability, if you have mm -hmm. a disability, you'll be oppressed. Like there's a million things exactly. that cause oppression. And I just think sometimes it's hard to accept that when you're so used to only facing one kind. Right. So another important aspect to discuss when discussing colorism is beauty standards. In America and in Europe, Eurocentric features are the beauty standard. Lighter skin, obviously, smaller noses, smaller lips, um, straighter hair, etc. you know. Mm -hmm. So since that is the beauty standard and fair skin is associated with beauty and status, light-skinned women are statistically more likely to be married at a young age than dark-skinned women. A study showed that based, just based on preference, light-skinned women are 15% more likely to be married at a young age. Which it, sucks. Yes. Like, that, that sucks. That's a lot. I know 15 doesn't seem like a big number, but when you actually put it to population, that's mm. a lot more young women being married. That's, and that goes into like fetishization and sexualization yeah. of those features. It's, it's so interesting because this is definitely like a double-edged sword, if you think about it. Because now black women are less favorable because of the standard, which is obviously very negative for black women. But light-skinned women are being fetishized. Light-skinned people in general, men and women. Mm. Honestly, sometimes, often, it's more men right. that are being fetishized. Um, but, and that's, that's a negative for light-skinned people, right? And, and we just perpetuate the idea. And it's even perpetuated within the race and within every other race that believes that light-skinned people are better or prettier or whatever. 
And it's so annoying. It is. And it's like, it's not a compliment. No, it's not. To be somebody's fetish is not a compliment. No, that's creepy and scary. It's it takes away from like what attraction should even be. Exactly. There's so much more to someone than their features. Mm-hmm. What about their personality <laughs> and what their intelligence, everything else they have to offer? Mm-hmm. But you're just going to pick them because of their light skin and their small nose. Or just claiming that you're only attracted yeah. to one thing. That's weird. It's really weird. Like having a type is different Mm -hmm. than preferring a specific racial category. Exactly. That's weird. And let me tell you, Asian women, as we literally just saw with the shooting, Yep. I'm sorry that these women were were just so, so hot that you had to kill them. Yeah. Like, that's not... That's, That's not... That's not even valid. That's just... I don't understand how people are trying to empathize and sympathize with that. That's just so unacceptable. Yeah. And that that's literally in any case. If you genuinely think your type is a certain racial category, let me tell you right now, please stop. It's literally a form of racism. Yes, it is. Like, where did that come from? Oh it's my rooted gosh. in something because it's not rooted in the truth let me tell you that you are not attracted to only one race that reminds me of during the protests over the summer i remember i would see people coming with signs saying so many disgusting derogatory things it would be and it was a lot of women actually i know you think you're doing the black community a favor you're literally not it's not a compliment no it's not to be like or the obsession with having, like, mixed babies? Yes! I'm over that. No, it's it's not cute. Do it for love, bro. Yeah, don't do, do it, it for, for the mixed babies. Cause don't, that's, don't do it for the mixed babies. That's so creepy. Please, please don't do that. Anyways, I don't even... I hate this bullet point, and I, it makes me really sad that it's a thing. And this is, like, a billion-dollar industry. Yeah. Skin bleaching. Still exists today. And it's commonly practiced in both India and southwestern United States. Many women in this area will suffer from mercury poisoning because they're bleaching their skin so that it can be lighter. Mm-hmm. And again, this is also practiced in the Latinx community mm-hmm. pretty heavily, actually. Like we said in um, India, all of South Asia, and in the States, and yes. in Europe, and in some extent in the Middle East. Yes. I, this is just all has to do with wanting the privilege and wanting to be more appealing because apparently that is what it is. These features are what's sought after. So you're going to do anything you can to have them and put your health at risk. Not even like a desire, just you think you think you have, you to. have to. It's not, it's not like, it's not like you woke up one day and you were like, hmm. You know, it'd be fun bleaching my skin. Right. It's like, no, society drilled into your yeah, brain. Yeah, exactly. That this is what you should be doing. This is how you should look. Right. Right. It's like a forced want. It's not that you just choose happily. Mm-hmm. It's you're obligated to or else you're going to suffer. Yeah. Which is dumb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this all has to do with the fact that the media inaccurately portrays dark-skinned women and just in general 
by lightening their skin and it'll change their features. This happens a lot with famous people. Mm-hmm. And when they're getting their photos taken and everything, they'll edit them and lighten their skin and facial features. Mm-hmm. And to cater to the notion that fair skin is the beauty standard and that's what's desired, when that's not true. Mm-hmm. And in the opposite case, they will also darken the skin of people that they want to p- you know, put out as being criminal. Right. right. Light skin is beautiful. Dark skin is evil. That's yeah. how you can sum it up. That's how the portrayal is. And that's just so unfair. Mm-hmm. And you can even see it. And this is what I mean by like in the black community, while a lot of the times it's um, colorism is perpetrated by the uh, like by the outside, by the majority. It still is in the black community mm-hmm. because how many sitcoms have you seen where it's a black family, but every woman is light skinned and every man is dark skinned? Exactly. Literally every 90s, early 2000s, to some extent, mid 2000s and 2010s. Mm-hmm. Literally every show. And I think there was one show where like the sister was dark skinned. And then all of a sudden, the next season, it was a new actress and she was light skinned. I genuinely think the only exception is Everybody Hates Chris. Mm-hmm. And how many times in movies, especially biopics, will it be about a dark skinned woman, but they have a light skinned or not even black woman playing her? Sir, I literally, like, I have no words. It's so annoying. And what I, like, I know Zoe Zeldana, is that her last name? Yes. She just did a movie, and I don't even know who she was playing, but they literally had to darken her skin Yes. for yes. her to play the part. She's black, but just she's light-skinned. Right. It's like, what, if you're going to go through all of that... Just hire just, someone who's uh, dark-skinned. Hire... Like, they're, they're, they're out there. Yep. They exist. They're good at what they do. But we have to keep promoting light-skinned actresses. Only. Ever. So now... We'll get into some statistics. I'm literally getting so upset. Brace yourselves. This is very heavy, and it'll put everything we've been talking about into perspective. Mm -hmm. So, first things first. Light-skinned women are sentenced to approximately 12% less time behind bars than dark-skinned women. And with that, light-skinned women also serve 11% less time in prison than dark-skinned women. In schools, dark-skinned girls are two times more likely to be disciplined in terms of, like, detention, suspension, expulsion, all of that, than white girls. However, light-skinned girls virtually receive the same amount of punishment as white girls. A 2006 University of Georgia study showed that employers prefer light-skinned black men to dark-skinned black men. Now, that is... 15 years ago at this point, but I'm pretty sure if you took another survey and did another study, that would still be true. It'll be like 1% smaller and every white American will be like, yes, change! Exactly! And And it's like... Actually, let me amend that statement. It'll be 1% lighter and all of America will say, yes, change! Woo! Yeah! And you know, some people only responded that way because they felt obligated to. So did anything really change? Probably not. All right. A light-skinned black man with a bachelor's degree and typical work experience was preferred over a dark-skinned black man with an MBA and past managerial positions. Imagine being more qualified and not getting the job. (sighs) And then people still complain about affirmative action? Please, please, not to switch topics on you, but this is ridiculous. It's just, it is. There's no other way to say it. A law professor at Vanderbilt University 
conducted a study of over 2,000 immigrants from around the world and found that those with the lightest skin earn on an average 8 to 15% more than similarly qualified immigrants of darker skin. Bad. That's awful. Dark-skinned defendants are more likely to be convicted and receive the death penalty than lighter-skinned ones. Light-skinned men and women are more likely to be sexualized than their darker counterparts. And light-skinned men are often considered to be soft or unmanly, and this is mostly done by the black community. That was a whole TikTok trend. I remember... Oh, I think, I think I wasn't on TikTok when that happened, but I remember hearing about it. I remember seeing that all over my For You page. And that was be, the Sin City one? Yeah. Yeah. And it would just be so... It was just so strange. And then it would be them making fun of, like, light-skinned <laughs> men, too. They'd be like, light-skinned men be like, and then do, like... You know, act yeah, all like soft falling or, or exactly. Yeah, honestly, a lot of them I think were done by light skinned people, and they were just like accepting the joke. And I think like I don't approve of the TikTok trend, but I genuinely think, or I don't think it did that much harm. Right. But this narrative is like the reason that toxic men exist. Exactly. And so it's not really helping anyone. So let's just throw that away. And this narrative that light-skinned men are softer on manly then creates a new narrative that dark-skinned men are angry Mm -hmm. tough evil violent so it just keeps the stereotypes going it never ends yeah like literally every single colorist statistic or fact or whatever is Mm double-edged because if you're saying one thing about light-skinned people then you're saying the opposite about their dark-skinned people exactly and typically both sides of that are not great nope india's skin lightening cream fair and lovely promising an even tone of glowing skin with skin lightening pigments has 38 million users around the world i think i don't know if it was this actual company but i'm pretty sure that priyanka chopra came under fire like a few years ago about endorsing Mm -hmm. or like being the model for uh lightning lotion like lightning face lotion which, like, I I know it's wrong, and I don't even know if I can blame her. Like, I genuinely right. think that was part of something that maybe, like, her family did growing up, and right. she just didn't know that this was, like, wrong. So, and I don't know, like, her life or her story or anything about her, but I see that, and I just don't know what to think, you know? Because mm-hmm. that, that's wrong. Like, you should not advertise that. No. That is not a good thing. However, if this is all you know... This is every. This is what's been forced down your throat since you've been alive. Is it your fault? Mm-hmm. Like, exactly. That's why this conversation is so hard. Yeah, we're perpetuating all of these narratives, but we don't know any better, and nobody's teaching us to do better. Exactly. And even like within these communities, within the Asian community, within the Black community, within the Middle Eastern community, all of these communities, they're not doing anything either. Nope. They don't. They don't even know that it's happening all of the time. Or that what they're saying is hurtful. Exactly. To people of their race or of their ethnicity. <sighs> Dark-skinned Brazilians make up 63% of the poorest sectors of Brazil. That's very similar to what you'll see in the Philippines and in India. Yes. I think that number is a lot higher in Brazil than it would be in those other countries. Exactly. And it's not by accident either. Yeah. And I think like what's really interesting and the reason that I keep bringing up Southeast Asia is because it wasn't created by white power, for Mm -hmm. the most part. Right. They weren't untouched by colonialism. 
But for the most part, this was created, like, within the race. Exactly. It's just tough to accept. That that mentality is just around the world. Yeah. That lighter is better. It's definitely a lot to think about. So within Egypt, there is Upper Egypt, which is actually like the south part of Egypt. And on the edge of what's considered Upper Egypt and between the border of Sudan is Nubia, which if you've heard like Nubian queen, like that's where it comes from, right? And a lot of people down there are either very dark brown or they're black, mm-hmm. right? And, and in Egypt, they literally exist in their own space because typical Egyptians can range from like being very white to being on the lighter, so- lighter side of brown. Mm-hmm. And then you have Nubia, like I was talking about, and they're very dark and they're treated poorly, like by the government. Like they don't mm-hmm. have as many resources. There is almost no tourist attractions in Nubia. They, o- they also, it, it's to the point where they speak a different dialect than the rest of Egypt. Wow. And that's not to say that Egypt is the only country that does this, because it's really not. Right. Within the Middle East, you'll find plenty. And the narrative doesn't just stop between borders. You can be darker and be in Upper Egypt or in Lower Egypt, and you can be in Cairo and you can be in Alexandria and be darker and be treated poorly. Right. And you're still just Middle Eastern. You're not even black. You're just still, like, that's... Uh, that's what sucks that's the part yeah that's the part that just is shocking it's just it exists it really does exist everywhere Mm -hmm. and there's no denying that there's different privileges associated but there are also negative like there's so many negatives for everybody involved Mm -hmm. all right here are some of the sources we used while putting this episode together an article called Colorism from nccj.org, an article called The Roots of Colorism or Skin Tone Discrimination by Nadra Kareem Niddle from ThoughtCo, a book called How to Be an Anti-Racist, specifically Chapter 8 by Ibram Kendi, a law paper, Colorism Among South Asians, Title Seven, and Skin Tone Discrimination, by Tanya Lavelle Banks. Um, For other things that you can just check out for some more information, like we said, the Blackish episode is actually really informative and it Mm -hmm. kind of just shows like the inner workings between like black people that are different skin tones. I thought it was like very, very interesting. I learned a lot from it, I feel like. I thought it was very powerful too. It really struck a chord with me when I was watching it. Yeah, Yeah. me too. That was one of the episodes that I definitely watched more than once. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really intense. It was a good it was a good episode. Also, Dear White People on Netflix. So they talk about all kinds of race issue, race issues and I honestly really recommend that everybody watch it. I think it's so powerful. Um and there's a lot of comedy in it, but it just, you know, touches so many subjects. There's a lot of episodes that heavily focus on colorism, especially between women that are black which I thought was very powerful and also touched a lot on what we talked about. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope you'll join us next week. So I know that colorism is a really tough subject to tackle. And honestly, if you were able to get through this very uncomfortable episode, even me and Molly are just in the recording studio 
cringing and throwing hands and getting angry and just not knowing what to do and needing a moment of silence every now and then because it's so tough and it's so intense um, but honestly if you've made it this far then good for you you're you know step in the right direction and now you know like if you're perpetuating it you know how to stop if your friends are doing it you know you can look back on your own experiences yeah you're doing great stay positive you're doing well you're an exceptional person and don't forget that there's always hope for change today.